All right. Well, you know you're in trouble when your staff uh, suggests we're going to do this at church. So we were in a meeting, and Drew looked over at me, and he had that look in his face, you know, like, I'm up to something. And I said, what do you, what do you want to do for Father's Day? You, you've got something going on. He said, yeah, I want to build an axe-throwing event. I said, well, have you ever done this before? He said, no. I said, how are you going to do it? He said, oh, we got it all figured out. Pastor Phil, don't worry about it. It's all going to be good. I don't know if you've seen the video of it, but, you know, my concern was that an axe gets out of the, you know, just flies. I mean, and it, it just hits somebody, right? I said, are you going to put a roof on this thing? No, no, it'll be fine. They're not going to throw that high. I said, right. And, uh, but, uh, you know, what could be more manly than one of these, Right? Some of you go, what is that? Well, that's what we're going to show you. We're going to tell you all about what it is to throw an axe. And uh, there is a prize for the winner is going to get a free ticket to the men's conference in the fall. All right? Now, some of you, you say, what if I already bought mine? Well, then you just, it's, it just cancels it out. It doesn't, we save the money, it's all good. But uh, honestly, uh, the men's conference is, is really an amazing time, and I know it's not until October, but it'd be great to get you guys lined up, signed up now for that, and, and just be a part of it. We, uh, we had a, an amazing time. It was like 100 times better than we thought it would be. We just had no, just didn't, couldn't even imagine the change that took place across the board with uh, all the men, and uh, it was a wide span of ages, I think from 18 till about 80, and or plus, and uh, God talked to every one of them and, and really moved in their heart. So today I want to talk to you about being a man of valor. Now, ladies, this is messages for you. Don't worry. We'll, you'll make the application. If you're married or have a boyfriend, your elbow will work to make the point. Yes, see, I told you. Um, but anyway, um, what is a man of valor? And I, I just began to put down some ideas that struck me right off the bat. One is, a man of valor rises to the challenge. You know, whatever the challenge is, you know, if you're a man, you understand this. It's like, don't tell me I can't do something because I'll try to do it, right? It's like I double-dog dare you kind of a thing. Another thing a man of valor does is he solves problems that are at hand. You know, I can't tell you how many times when my kids were little that they wanted me to fix the broken toy that could not be fixed on some occasions, I went out, bought a new one, threw the other one away, and I was a hero because I fixed the toy. But also, they take responsibility, and responsibility is a big thing uh, in our life. You know, when, when we live in a day when people are not sure they want to be responsible for anything, uh, it's great to be able to say, I'll, I'll take responsibility. And then other thing is they exercise faith, and this is such a big part of being a man of valor. You know, you can have all these other qualities, but if you're really not a, a, a person of faith, you, you can't move the needle in your, in your household. You can't move the needle in the kingdom. You, you really can't change things the way that they need to be changed because they're going to be changed by maybe your intellect, your ability, your capacity, and we all have those things. But what happens when the supernatural moves into your life? It's so, so different. To be able to look back and say, we prayed for that, we sought God for that, and it changed. Something changed because of that. And I can't take credit on, it on any other level. That's what we need to be. And then live a life of integrity. 
And this is not a life of perfection. You know, the, the, the real key that we have to remember is that all of us are really saved by grace, and we're just a product of his grace and his love. Right? And if you're looking for someone who's perfect, uh, you're going to have to wait to get to heaven because they don't exist on planet Earth. But I think the one thing that the church, the body of Christ, is designed to do is to keep each other sharp and move each other in the right direction for the kingdom of God. Amen? Uh, I'm going to show you a quick video here of the uh, men of valor. So uh, get out your phone, sign up today. You can do so afterwards, but be inspired by this video. So as we think about being a man of valor, I'm going to take you in your Bible to the book of Judges, chapter 6. Judges, chapter 6. And I'm doing a little mini-series within the, the series on Genesis called The Blessing. And this is part three of The Blessing. We'll do one more, and then we'll be back in the book of Genesis. But here's the first thought that's really powerful. That is that every generation has a problem to solve. You know, we can look at our, at our world today and we say, my gosh, it's never been this bad, and look at what we're dealing with, and look at what our kids are dealing with, and I think all those things are true. But remember, every generation had a problem they had to solve. Whether it was that generation that had to face world, the, a world war, whether it was a generation that had to face the Cold War, whether it was a generation that had to fear uh, or face civil rights and how to navigate through that, or whether it's a generation today that is just inundated with so many things that we go like, it's coming at us from every direction. You know, and social media coming in, it really was a thing that was buying for our connectedness, wasn't it? We want to connect you with the entire world. And one of the byproducts that no one anticipated in that connected world was that it would also facilitate uh, human trafficking that it would also bring up suicide rates because of not feeling like you meet up to somebody else's standards. And that was a byproduct that no one saw. And now we're facing a day of AI where nobody really knows what the byproduct of this is going to be. The obvious ones are there. There's going to be jobs taken away because AI is going to accomplish that. But already it took 10 years for Facebook to hit 100 million. AI hit that in nine months. And if you think about what's going on, it is literally learning how to think. They, I, I was doing some research on it this week, and what they did was they would feed in information. All the questions, all the answers were in English. But somehow, AI computer taught itself Persian and began to answer in Persian. And nobody knows how or why. I mean, if you, if you think back in your life of, of years ago, there was a movie called Terminator, and it seems so futuristic, and yet it's here today. It is here when you've got machines that are thinking and really can, can 
already replicate your voice, fool parents, fool children, fool everyone with identity issues. These are the challenges we have of our day. Not to mention what we're living in, just surrounded, we're gonna talk about a little bit later. But look in Judges, we're gonna look at a man by the name of Gideon. How many of you have heard of Gideon, right? You've seen a Gideon's Bible probably, you may know the story. But it says in Gideon, uh, in the book of Judges about Gideon, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now what's really interesting is this principle, that when a nation turns its back on God, God turns its back, his back on the nation. People say, do you think God is going to judge America? I said, God is judging America right now by, by allowing the evil to move in the land because people haven't stood against the evil in the land. Look what it says here in Scripture. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. So God said, if you don't want me, I'm going to allow your enemy to come in and, and God knew, but it was going to be seven years before there was going to be a turning back to God. Can you imagine, can you imagine five more years of what we've had over the last two years? I mean, we've been in this battle really since COVID for three years. And, and as we go through this battle, you know, it, it has consequences on us all. But look what it says. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. In other words, Israel was powerless. They were only powerful with God. Can I remind you, you're only powerful with God. You pull God out of your life, you're not as strong as you think you are. Amen? That's why we need God in our life. That's why it says to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Why? Because we need God in our life. And it says, because the Midianites, the children of Israel, made for themselves dens and caves and strongholds which are in the mountains. And they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now imagine what's happened. The only refuge they had was hiding. They just wanted to get out of the line of fire. They just wanted to go in their cave. They just wanted to go somewhere where they were safe. But they lived in fear. They might have been safe, but they were in fear. And if you're living in fear, you're not safe. Because faith cancels out faith. Fear cancels out faith. You see, it was a nation seduced by the demonic. Seven years of demonically inspired leadership had devastated the economy. The nation was under a spell of pagan gods. Children were devalued and used as pawns in society, and the morale of a nation was low, and the hope for a better future was dim. If it sounds like our day, it is. When the Sisters of Indulgence are honored at a baseball game, while Commissioner Manfred, who prefers to insult the right-minded than offend the most offensive, you know that we're living in the days of Gideon. You see, culture is confused by identity, and identity is more than just what people want us to believe it is today, and that is you can pick your identity by your gender by, on the basis of your, your desire for identity. But remember, your identity is also national. It's, it's where you live. If you can't identify yourself with a people, you have no identity. You become a citizen of the world. Well, what is that? If you think you were lost in a, in a country of 350 million, how about finding yourself in a world of 8 billion? And this is what's so complex about it. It's also spiritual. 
Your spiritual identity, if you know who you are in Christ, you can face anything in life. If you don't know who you are, what are you going to do? I was sitting and just reflecting on God, and I just started just reciting the Lord's Prayer. Have you done that lately? Our Father, which art in heaven. Say it with me. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Deliver us from the evil one, right? Give us our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses and those who trespass against us and deliver us from the evil one. Well, you, th- you think about just how refreshing it is just to acknowledge that it's our God, our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. You see, the value of life decreases when a generation loses its sense of destiny and purpose. I, I really wonder how the, the young generation today will navigate 20 years from today. We can't see into the future. You know, there was not a prophet that predicted we were going to go into COVID. Did you realize that? All the, everybody that thought they knew everything about God, nobody saw it coming. What do we see coming down the road? I don't know, but I do know this, that whatever we face, whenever the challenge comes up against the church of the living God, the church of the living God always finds a way to prevail in the midst of turmoil, chaos, problems, difficulty, and challenge. And if need be, God provides an ark or God takes them into the wilderness and provides for their care all down through the road. You see, God has always covered the, uh, the, his people, the covenant people, and protected them along the way. It seems like to be in vogue to jump on the woke bandwagon today, doesn't it? For those of us who seek to avoid supporting companies, we ask, will the whole world go woke? Will there be any place to eat, shop, and support? Well, Jesus said, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither toil or spin or reap but, or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Have you reflected on that lately? When you face a difficulty, you say, God, I don't know what to do. And God's saying, I was waiting for that comment. Amen? I was waiting to hear you say dependency. I was waiting to hear you say, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. You see, seek his righteousness, and all these things, the Bible says, we are more than conquerors. All these things will be added unto us. But you see, there is something called battle weariness. I looked up battle fatigue. I thought, I want to know what battle fatigue is. I looked it up, and I realized I had 17 of the 20. I said, I'm in trouble here, you know. I've got all these characteristics going on in my life. And I think that, I don't know about you, but I just have this sense that people feel worn down. Do you feel that way? Just like, oh, man, the battle still goes on. I'm, I'm just kind of tired of hearing about it. I'm tired of fighting it. I'm tired of resisting. And see, this is where the enemy gets us. He gets us to the place to where we give up. You know, you can't give up, amen? You can't give up. You know, it's sometimes it's when things seem worse that you mustn't quit. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to the faint and faltering one who learned too late how close he was to the golden crown. So rest if you must, but don't you quit. You see, there's something about perseverance. 
In Daniel, I love this scripture in Daniel because it, it really speaks to the day. It says uh, in Daniel 7:27, and he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change the times and the laws. Now let me ask you something. Does that sound like our day? The saints of God, tired, weary, battle. And he, what is he gonna do? The, the, Part of the strategy of the enemy in the future is to change the times and change the laws. You know, when the French Revolution came, they tried to change everything. They wanted to get, they expelled God out of France altogether. It was the exact opposite of the American Revolution. They said, we're gonna, let, let's, let's kill all the priests that we can. Let's wipe out all the history of France we can. They turn the Cathedral of Notre Dame into a, a pagan temple to worship gods. They tried to change the seven-day week into a 10-day week. I'm not sure. Leave it to the French to figure that one out. You know, but everything, so let's do everything the opposite. And then across the pond, what do we have? We have the American Revolution, which, which said we're going to put God into society, and the difference was monumental. France tried to deal everybody with the guillotine, and we tried to do everything with the Bible. That's part of our heritage. You see, there have been times since we started this church and, and when I didn't know what to do. Have you ever been in those things where I'm not really sure what to do? I can remember uh, very clearly, I've got two board members here, uh, Ray D'Angelo and, and uh, <laughs> George Haynes, can't even think of your name right now, George, but <laughs> I've only known you like 20 years. Um, and George, and I remember we were in a meeting and, and we were built, we were in a construction in this building. And I don't know what happened, but you know, finances got away from us and we, had, we, had, we thought we had all the bills paid and we had like a $180,000 bill just to finish here and get open. And we had like $13,000 in the bank. And I remember looking at the face of these guys and a couple other guys and uh, they looked like they, they wanted to say, you know, I wish I never would have been a board member. <laughs> you know, how did I get into this mess? And and I was really, uh, at least on the outside, I was pretty optimistic. I said, hey, I think I got a plan. We'll figure this out. And, and uh, they told me later, yeah, they were all leaning over the hood of the car going, what are we going to do? And time to change churches. But anyway, <laughs> but you know what happened? God came through. You know, I've never really understood it, but God always comes through. Now, I like, I don't like his timing. Are you with me on this? I'm not just not a fan. I mean, I'd like a little bit more notice. I'd like a little bit more preparation. And God says, but you see, if I do, then I'm walking by sight. God wants us to walk by faith. Amen. And faith is one of those things that I love to exercise, and at the same time, I hate to wait on it. But God pushes us into that realm because this is, everything is our preparation for eternity, you know, God is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory, the Bible says. Imagine that. What does that mean? That this life is a preparation for an eternal weight of glory. If you think about weight, something heavy, something of substance, and think of put that on the eternal level, and God says, I have something for you in eternity that will make everything in this life pale by comparison. Would you not be willing to prepare yourself for eternity? an eternal weight of glory far beyond what you could ever think or imagine. And you see, there's been times when, when we didn't know where to go or what to do. 
And I look back, it's only been just a little over a year ago that we had this crazy idea of buying another building. And I, and I really just, it was like, in my mind, mentally, it was the dumbest thing I ever did. In my spirit, it was the smartest thing we ever did. Because I said, who buys an office building in the kind of the tail end of COVID when no one's going to work? But you know, God led us into that and God provided that for us every step of the way. A miraculous, I mean, literally miraculous. I'm gonna tell one story because I know he's not here today, but I had, we had a guy come and, and first time ever at church and, and he sat down and I, walk, and I talked about that building and how we needed money and I walk off and never saw this guy before. Didn't even know his name and he hands me a check and he said, hey, I wanna help out and I opened the check and it was for $50,000. Now, you know, when that happens... That ain't you. You see what I'm trying to say? And what I really want to encourage all of you is I want you to live in the realm of faith so that the unexpected becomes a part of your life routine. So that you go, wow. You know, have you ever seen a miracle and you go, man, I can't believe it? The reason we can't believe it is maybe because we don't see enough of them. But we were designed for miracles. We were designed with some kind of a, a divine dissatisfaction for the way things are, that we want to see things better, and we want to see things change. We want to see people healed. I mean, I, I drive down the road, and I see people, you know, and, and they're struggling either to, to walk or they're, you know, and I'm just thinking, God, I just pray for them right now. I'm just, I'm praying as I go. And then I'll, then I'll kind of follow that up with, in the kingdom of God, should they know the Lord, they'll be well. They'll be whole. And this has to be the heartbeat of the church. You see, sometimes you let fear rise up in you and it overtakes your faith. And then, you, faith, then fear becomes the governing uh, kind of thing in your life. And you're like, well, I better not do that. I don't, what, what happens if this and this and this and this? And you know, that's always a technique of the enemy. He wants to take you down the road of despair. That's why we have to renew our mind. You know, the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know where your mind needs renewing? Because it's messed up. <laughs> now, that's not exactly how Scripture says it, but that's true, amen? How do I renew my mind? People ask me this. You know, it's really interesting because they've done studies, and there's a, what's called the neuroplasticity of the brain. Isn't that a cool word? It basically means that your mind... Your, your brain can be shaped by the way that you look at life and the way you renew your mind. And one of the studies shows that in 21 days, you can totally renew your mind in five minutes a day. How many of you need some renewing? Amen? All right, there's a couple of hands went up fast. <laughs> well, let, let me give you the essence of it right now because you can start this process right now. Apparently, that what happens is when you go down certain paths of rep repeated behavior, you change the, the, basically the, the way your brain works. And these neural pathways in your brain, they become fixed part of a habit. And sometimes you'll build up a habit over you know, six months or a year or a lifetime, and you just feel like it's just who you are, and you have to do that. And what happens is you can actually break up these neural pathways. So you can identify, say, what is one of those neural pathways that keeps taking me down the same road and I need to be set free from that? It might be worry. Worry can be a neural pathway. And you've developed this pathway and you know, you know it's not productive, you know it's not good, but you keep fighting against it because you don't know what to do with it. So basically, what the research shows is that I can, I can just basically, through prayer, thought, 
meditation, whatever word you want to use to describe this process, and I can just say, God, would you show me the neuropathway that's most dangerous in my life right now? Now, if you're doing that, if you just said that to yourself, God's probably showed something. You probably knew it before I even started. You say, okay, I've got that. Now what do I do? Now what you do is you say, God, I want to take control over that pathway in my brain. Remember, the brain is malleable. Neuroplasticity of your brain. So now what you say is, God, I want you to take that part of my brain that seems to go down this same pathway, and I want you to break that up. I want you to renew that. And then what you do is in its place, whenever that thought comes up, you put in something in its place to repeat at least six to eight times a day. So, for example, let's say it was fear. All right, what you do is you can put a song, a scripture, a phrase, or a thought in that place. So when that comes up, you just quote that. You just recite that back over. And if you do that for 21 days, according to research, you can literally transform or renew your mind in 21 days. You see, the interesting thing about it is that that scripture that we quote from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, was written 2,000 years ago. And it took scientists that long to figure out how to do it. You see, God wants us to renew our mind every day. Because you can be in the middle of a storm, but if you have a renewed mind, the storm seems to be okay. If your mind is not renewed, now all you see is a storm because you magnify that which is in front of you. If you put the Lord in front of you, you magnify the Lord. So when we look at this, we see that God will always come through. Sometimes, sometimes you just have to outlast your enemy. You just have to be stay standing long enough to see the victory. When you've done everything you know to do and you've prayed all you need to know, know to pray, what's left to do is you stand, you outlast the enemy. If you keep looking at the enemy, it will be all that you can see. First new car I bought, I haven't had many of them, but the first new car I bought was years ago, and it was a black Chrysler. Some of you heard this story, but I, it was like it didn't smell like French fries. It was brand new. You know, when you got little kids, your cars always smell like McDonald's French fries for some reason. But, but it was a brand new car, and it was black and beautiful, and I was so proud of it, and I just, I just loved that car. And I don't know why manufacturers, they don't use black primer on black cars. They use white or gray primer on black cars. So that means if you get a chip in it, you end up with a white or a gray dot on your car. Now, I would always do what everybody else does when they get a new car. They, they, they think they're invulnerable to all kinds of attacks, so they park their car way away. And they, but somehow, somebody opened the door and got a dot on my door. And I developed a dot complex. All I could see was the dot. I hated the car. <laughs> hated the car. I just thought, look at that car. And I would, try to, I would try to not walk toward the car so I wouldn't have to see the dot that long. It was on the driver's side. And I would come around the back so I could sneak up on the dot. Now, if you know what I'm talking, if you can anyway, man, if you can relate to this, I mean, I need a little bro help right now. I mean, in the house, amen? So I developed this dot complex, and I just thought, I don't know what to do, and I'd get out there with a black magic marker and try to, you know, because I don't want to paint it. You know, I tried shoe polish. I tried everything to get rid of the dot. You see, when you have a dot complex, it's all you see. And I suspect that some of you have a dot complex on some issue. 
It's all you see, and you can't see anything else. You might see yourself as a failure, and all you see is failure. You might see yourself without friends, and all you see is yourself without friends. And the dot complex is, is really devastating. I'm, I mean, this is kind of a funny story about the car, but not to me. It was my dot complex. I was coming home from work one day. Car stopped in front of me. I stopped in time. The car behind me plowed into me, crushed the back end, the front end of the car. I was never so happy. I got rid of the dot complex. You see, you can't live with a dot complex. You have to get rid of it. It has to die. Whether it's a car or whether it's a thought, a neural pathway in your brain, you have to get rid of it. You see, the Bible teaches us that we can, that Christians can develop strongholds in their life. But these strongholds all develop in the mind. This is all mental. If you can renew your mind, you can deal with these things. But strongholds, they come up, and, they, and we're, the only way we get victory is to take, we have to destroy the stronghold, and we have to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Because if we don't, they're warring against us constantly. They're bringing us down. You see, you have to change what you're magnifying in your life. What's the biggest thing in your life right now that you're magnifying? And if I take a dime and I hold it right in front of my eye, all I see is a dot. I cannot see the world. But if I take the dime and I hold it further out, I can see the entire world. I put it in perspective. Sometimes the problems are so close to us, they overwhelm us, and all they do is they cloud our vision for all the good that's going on in our world. Don't forget the Bible says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, principalities, powers, nor things present, things to come shall be able to separate us from the love of God. You see, expect God to work in your life. This idea of expectation was, has been a part of our church culture from day one. In Judges chapter 6, verses 8 through 10, the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel. Everybody else was hiding in the cave. God says, i got to send somebody in to wake them up. And who said to them, thus says the Lord of Israel, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Why is he bringing them back in history? You have to remember what God did for you if you're gonna move forward. Otherwise, you think he quit working. He didn't. Who brought you out of the house of bondage? I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of all who oppressed you who drove them out as before and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. We are living as close to the land of the Amorites as I know because Baal worship was the god of the Amorites. And Baal worship is what you're seeing on the platform. It's what it's, it, what's the entire White House is filled with right now. It's not bad leadership. It's demonic leadership. Just call it how it is. You don't do those kind of things if you're just a bad leader. You see, because if you're a bad leader, you know, it's obvious. Well, that's just bad leadership. But when it, when it leans itself into the evil, you go, wait, we got to do something here. Well, you know what we do as a church? We try to undo the works of darkness. We try to destroy the works of the enemy. Amen? That, that's why we exist. That's why we can speak hope when there's no hope. Life when there's no life. That's why we talk about a future. 
that's good, and we feel like we're going to prevail, we feel like we're going to win, uh, and it may be in a different way than we think. But one of the things we started doing, and I've got a short video I want to show you here, we decided we're going to go into the high schools, and we're going to bring the message of Jesus to the public high schools. So we formed Bible clubs. Pastor Allen is, is really the key behind this. We should be in three high schools this fall. But we go in there, and then now imagine this scene. You're gonna go into a public high school. You're gonna tell everybody to meet in the gymnasium, and we're gonna talk about Jesus. It's a Jesus club. This doesn't sound very, you know, like, cool, does it? Well, let's watch the video and see how cool people think it is. Amen. So we have up to 200, sometimes over 200 kids at one of these gatherings. And all you really tell them is, we got a Jesus club, we're gonna give you free pizza. <laughs> but you know, even free pizza isn't enough to overcome what you feel in high school by persecution. I think we're gonna transform high schools from without. That is, we're gonna go in and, and we're gonna, it's gonna be going into places like of darkness and changing them. And we've already got a plan laid out for discipleship. We've had over 130 kids saved already in the high schools. You know, a lot of these things you don't know we're doing. And we are, we're, we're highly engaged in, in that, in missions and kids. And we started Influence uh, Learning Center, you know, because we said we've got to do something to help parents. And I'm happy to report that this fall we're going to expand into ninth grade. Trust me, it was not on my radar. In fact, my words to the directors were this All I want to hear from you is it's all good. And Bobby didn't poop in his pants today. That's all I want to hear. <laughs> it didn't work out that way. I'm pretty highly engaged. And, and honestly, it, it, it is a sacrifice, a sacrifice of building, a sacrifice of finance, because it doesn't pay for itself. We undergird that, that ministry. And hopefully in the days ahead, it will. But I want you to know that, to me, it's, it's rescuing kids it's really what it is. And I pray that God will just greatly multiply everything we're doing in, the, in this area, and we'll see more and more kids come. But you know, faith, when you think about it, faith moves the economy of heaven. This is a favorite scripture of many of you, Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. What is that? What would you like to see God do in your life? And then, but faith is activated by surrender. Every time I thought I knew what I was doing, I didn't see God. Every time I said, God, I give up and I surrender, I saw God. There's something about descending into greatness. 
You know, Jesus was born in the likeness of men and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And then it says, therefore, God highly exalted him. All of us need to descend into greatness. We descend in order that God can meet our need and elevate us at the right time. Faith rises to the occasion. I, I can't begin to tell you how many times faith has risen to the occasion in this church. And God has blessed us so much. I, I tell people all the time, we have the most generous church. If you're not generous, just hang around a little while and you will become generous because it's contagious to be able to give. I want to give you a, a couple of reports here, what we need uh, moving in. We, we're on basically a six-month budget cycle, so we go six months reevaluate, then we go another six months. And so right now, uh, our budget ends, the six-month cycle ends on June 30th. And here's what I need. I need $178,000 above what we're already giving to meet our budget for the year. That's about 4.5% if you want to know what that number is. And so I'm just going to ask you to ask God to, to lead you. And I, I, just, I, just, I say this with confidence because I just believe God wants to see his people activated in this area. And then kids' camps. We cut our kids' camp off at, uh, at 200 just because we didn't have scholarship money. We could have, our goal was 300. But we have so many kids that can't afford to come to camp. And if you want to help with camp scholarship, you can give to the general fund, to the budget, and you can give to kids' camp scholarship on the app as well. Or you can see me. There's my phone number. I throw my phone number out there, and, and uh, everybody on planet Earth has it now. And... and uh, it was really interesting when we were raising money for the building. I got a text from somebody and said, Pastor, uh, I, I want to give to the building. I've never been to your church, but I watch on live stream every week and gave a very significant gift to our church by that way. And so we just love to see how God works in people's lives, you know? So I'm just going to implore you to seek God, and, and we'll give you a report next week and tell you where we are in this. And then also, we are drawn to those who point us to our destiny. You know how powerful it is when somebody looks in your life and said, I see this for you. I see this quality in you. I see this skill in you. I, I see this characteristic about you. In Judges, look what happens here, and I love this. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebith tree, which was an Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizite, uh, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide from the Midianites. Now look at this. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. What? He's hiding. And the angel of the Lord says, Mighty man of valor. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. You see, it was God who pushed Gideon out of fear into his destiny. I pray that today you're pushed out of any fear you have into your divine destiny. I pray that God is going to give you ideas about how to expand your business, how to find a job if you don't have one, how to, how to go beyond everything you could imagine. God is going to push you out of your fear and into your destiny. You see, he was fearful and he was hiding from the enemy. He had so magnified the enemy that he could not see the future. He was without hope. He was just one man. What could one man do? And yet, if you know the story of Gideon, with just 300 more men, he was able to conquer 20,000 or more Midianites because of the strategy of God, not because of one man. You see, he was without hope, but he didn't know what to do. The battle for good and evil will continue, uh, continue until the return of Christ. And until that time, we must engage culture, not withdraw, not adapt, 
not give up trying. Amen? You see, God saw something in Gideon that Gideon didn't see in Gideon. Do you realize there's more in you than you see in you? Do you realize even other people see it in you and you don't see it in you and you live in this sense of like, well, what can I do and who am I and I can't make a difference? You know, forget that baloney. That comes from the enemy. You just say, I will, I will, I will. I'll figure out how to get God into my situation. I'll figure out how to engage the enemy. I'll figure out how to be a change agent in my world and not be changed by what's going on in my world. I'm not gonna withdraw. I'm not gonna adapt. I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna give up. I'm gonna do everything I can. So God sees something in you that you don't see in you. God sees a man of valor. God sees a woman of valor. Not intimidated by or absent from the fight. Rather, they step up when others turn and run and look for a life of ease. Now, let me give you these to think on. First of all, you, every one of you, were created for an appetite for the impossible. That's why we respond so well when someone says, you can't do that. So don't tell me I can't do that. I will die trying. No telling how many injuries men have had from that challenge. You can't do that. Also, God never consults your past to decide your future. I don't care what your past looks like. I don't care if you failed 100 times. I don't care if you've messed up 100 times. It doesn't matter. God does not go back and say, well, let me see, let me check his resume, see if he's qualified for a miracle today. In fact, the more you fail, the more you might be in a position to win. Because at least you know it's not you. It's all about him. Amen? And then one day of favor is worth a thousand days of labor. Man, if you just, if you just could say, I got the favor of God on me right now, you know how refreshing that is? Okay, so here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna have you say that. And I know some of you are gonna say it and not believe it. That's why we're gonna say it three times. And some of you aren't gonna say it at all because you're just afraid that it's gonna mark you something. But here it is. The favor of God is on me today. The favor of God is on me today. The favor of God is on me today. God, I receive it. I believe it. I don't understand it, but I don't have to understand to be blessed. Amen.